0: We are switching it up a little bit this week, and I have our first ever guy joining us. You heard me right. We have Justin Boggs joining us this week. Now, that name might sound a little bit familiar because his wife, Meredith, has been on the Radiant Podcast before, but Justin is inspirational in his own right, and I'm so glad he's joining us today. We decided to switch it up a little bit and invite guys onto the Radiant Podcast because I want to bring inspirational people and their stories on to have conversations with me so that we can encourage and inspire you to move forward in your dreams. And I just know so many fantastic people that I just didn't want to leave out guys anymore because I know some wonderful fellas that really can inspire you to move forward in your journey so Justin will be joining us today and I know you're going to love him his mission is to learn lead and love people a little better than he did yesterday he's the CEO of Dice Media where they supply the product of perception they believe that their gifts are that of service they serve the people that are going to change the world by coming alongside them and using their gifts of influence and relating to other human beings they're a full service digital marketing agency that specializes in understanding and clarifying a company's purpose. They then communicate that purpose and their products to the rest of the world. Justin has quite a knack for storytelling and really capturing the essence of the people he works with. He really has been a gift to me as I brainstorm and flesh out my own brand, and I know that you are going to be just as fascinated by his abilities to generate ideas as I am. So, let's get to it. Let's welcome Justin Boggs to the Radiant Podcast. Hey, Justin. Hey there. I am so glad you're here. You are our first male guest. What? Yeah, you're carrying the torch.
1: No, I'm so honored and a little bit nervous.
0: (laughs) There's no better person than for you to carry the torch. And, you know, as our listeners will hear, you and I can jive on ideas all day long. So, so glad you're here. And for those of you listening, Meredith, Justin's wife, has been on in the twenties section of the Radiant Podcast, so you'll have to go back and find her. But we're so glad to have you here today.
1: Well, no, seriously, I'm I'm I am honored. When you asked me to be on your podcast and then told me that I was gonna be the first guy, I was like, oh my, why did why was I that person? But I'm pumped. This is awesome.
0: Everyone will see. So I would love for you to start by sharing your story, um, how you got to where you are and what you're doing today.
1: So my story, where do you want me to start?
0: Start at the beginning. Start at, well, I mean, not like when you're five, but you know.
1: I'll make this first beginning part quick. I was in high school and didn't know what I wanted to be right when I grew up still. And had the pressure, felt the pressure, obviously, from everybody when they were saying Where are you going to college? What are you going to major in? So senior year, I decided I'm going to be a doctor. And I thought, this will be great. I'm going to make money. I like people. Um, I think I'm smart enough. Let's do that. So I went to college, started pre-med. First semester into college, my GPA went from nothing to like a 1.8. And I thought, this sucks. I don't like this. I don't like these classes. I'm going to switch majors after my first semester in college. So I switched to nursing because I thought I'll I'll do nurse practitioner. Maybe I'll be smart enough for that. And went ham on my grades that second semester. Got them back up. Got into nursing school. And enjoyed it for the most part. I mean, I I hated nursing school, but I I graduated, started doing nursing. And um, one of the biggest career mistakes that I had ever made was the job market for nurses when we graduated high school was Pretty rough, and it took me way longer than I wanted to find a job, so I got took the first job that I that they offered. And showed up to my first day of work and I took you know a report from the off, offcoming nurse, and she said, This woman had breast reduction surgery, this woman had some OBGYN surgery, this woman had another OBGYN surgery, and I was like, wait a minute, why are all of these patients women and why are they all like gynecolog- gynecological surgeries? She was like, "Well, because we're a sur- gynecological floor. And I was like, no. <laughs> I took a job on a women's only OBGYN, post-op OBGYN floor. <laughs> And I had no idea until the first <laughs> day that I started.
0: That is awesome. I had no idea them. I had no idea the story existed.
1: So that was a nightmare. It was night shift, med surge floor, OBGYN, and I don't know how vulgar that you want me to get on this show, but <laughs> um, my job of taking pulses on freshly laid nipples were not my not my forte. <laughs> so. Um, it was horrible, and so I lasted 10 months on that floor because I didn't want to like make my resume look horrible the next job that I got. The whole time I thought, may, like, maybe I can like nursing, I just cannot like this. So I left there and um, scored this major awesome job at the Vanderbilt Emergency Department. I was so excited. I was going to be a nurse in like the top ER in the state, if not the country. I'm going to learn. It was amazing. Um, started working there, worked there for a year and really enjoyed it it was like, I really enjoyed it in the back of my mind that I at that point didn't want to recognize I knew that there was something that I haven't explored or discovered quite yet but I didn't want to even do my own personal work to figure out what it was because I was too scared of what it might be, meaning leave my newly found profession right so uh, Meredith and I love to travel, and um, we, since we started dating senior year in high school, we always dreamed about um, traveling and working. And so we were both nurses, and we thought, let's go do nursing abroad. And so we looked around for opportunities and uh, found an opportunity to go live in China, uh, working with orphan kids with um, genetic malformations. Doing nursing, and we were like, okay, this is gonna be awesome, uh, let's do that. So, we packed up everything into um, oh, what do you call it a uh, storage facility and lent our cars out to family members who didn't have them, and then said, we'll be back in a year. So, we left Nashville and moved to China. And it was the best and worst and most beautiful and most terrifying and every emotion in between that <clears throat> for that entire year. Um, How so? So our, we got there and very quickly realized that we were the only American nurses on staff, which in China meant we're going to hope that you can do more than what, you know, Western medicine nurses can do because we need help. So we had one physician that was in charge of about 500 kids, and and then they put Meredith and I in charge of like the main hospital. We had five facilities. Um, the main facility was the most acute, most critical. I ran the pediatric ICU, um, and then the first floor of the hospital, which was like the most healthy kids. So I had the sickest and the healthiest, and then Meredith had everybody in between, and. Uh, we had we worked seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. Our bedroom was about fifteen feet away from the PICU, and then my office was about twenty feet away from our bedroom. And uh, it was us because the physician had was in charge of five hundred kids. He would travel from one facility to another to another to another. And uh, so you know, the second month we were there, we got trained by the doc. For about a week, and then he was like, "All right, I'm going out of town for the next month. Um, you guys uh, call me if you need me." And we were like, "Oh no, Ugh, the, these kids are really sick. We don't. We're in over our heads." And um, the longer we worked there, the more tiring it got, but the more rewarding it got because we would create relationships with these sweet, sweet orphan kids, and um, if we could save them and. If they lived, that we would be able. To, we could set them up for adoption because in China, you can't get adopted if you have any type of ailment. Essentially, they don't really even. They don't even make a file for adoption for those kids unless they have. Uh, I mean, pretty much for the most part, unless they're pretty much healthy. So, um, you know, we would get a a standard day is wake up at six a.m. and go around on all the kids and see what they're doing and change. Things in terms of what they needed. And then, um, you know, about nine o'clock, we'd get a phone call from another orphanage, you know, yelling in Mandarin over the phone that we're bringing three new kids and they're really sick. And we're like, oh, okay, here we go. And then they'll show up. And when they showed up, the kids were really freaking sick. And um, because they were, you know, they would probably were born two or three weeks ago and nobody knew about any, you know, heart malformation until you know, two, three weeks out and then they were really sick by then. So it was, once again, awesome and terrifying and rewarding. We have, Meredith and I have had the blessing of having relationships with a few of the kids that we took care of. They got adopted and then their parents reconnected with us when they came back to America. So we get to see these little kiddos that we took care of when they were babes grow up in healthy and loving environments. And it's, Uh, it's amazing. So that's a lot of fun. Um, but like at the same time, it was a ton of work. It was hard work. Um, but it was fruitful all the Oh absolutely.
0: So you guys ended up leaving China.
1: So, yeah, so we, we left China, um, a year after we were there, um, came back and I had this moment about a month after. Or a month before we moved back, I was on the, I was Skyping with my brother and his now wife <clears throat> with Meredith. And we were four, we were talking, and Ryan was like, Well, now that we're like, Ryan's my best friend, he's my little brother. And uh, he said, Well, now that we're like grown up and stuff, should we like finally start a business now? Or And I was like, Well, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, we, you know, we were those two kind of entrepreneurs. Entre- Entrepreneurially minded kids when we were six and eight, trying to wash our neighbor's windows for five bucks. So, you know, we we've done like we we started you know five or six, seven, eight little mom and pop gigs when we were growing up. Whether it was lawn mowing or house cleaning or window washing or oh, I mean, it was all over the place. I,
0: mean, I was the same.
1: Yeah, because I was I mean. I just thought I know I want to make money and I know that this will make money, so let's do that because I want to buy this yo-yo. <laughs> so <clears throat> we anyways. We came back from China, um, and Ryan and I at the end of that Skype call says, just agreed upon the fact that we're going to be meeting. We're going to meet once a month and dream about what kind of business we want to start. And so we did that for <clears throat> a few months and. We're loving it. We were coming up with ideas. We were, you know, my brother and I are very vision ideas, uh, you know, ten thousand, maybe even fifty thousand foot level. But we're so, you know, far away from the ground that we had the blessing of my wife who can ground us and say, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And so we were meeting for a few months, and Meredith was like you guys have great ideas. I think that it's time to just actually do one of them. And so we are like, okay, let's, let's think about this more hardcore and actually consider what we can do. Because when we moved back to China, Meredith and I both went back into nursing. My brother was getting into real estate. And, um, so we had these monthly meetings. My, our friends started finding about, out about these meetings because apparently other 20-year-olds were having mid-20s crises, and uh, they were like, well, can we come? We want to come and brainstorm and dream about what we want to be when we grow up. And um, long story short, we realized after about six months that more and more people were wanting to come hang out and just talk about ideas and then strategize as to how you can take those ideas and get them up off the ground. And we realized, oh, maybe this is actually the business in and of itself, so about a year after that, we, we started just kind of growing that, what we na- what we then called um, the Ideas Collective, just for the sake of having a name, because when you name things, it gives them power. Yeah. We, we started calling Ideas Collective. More and more friends wanted to be a part of it. And we thought, uh, let's do some data testing and figure out if this is actually fruitful for people. So we, for no cost, we did a couple of small group trials and studies to see kind of organized, created a curriculum in terms of like, hey, who are you, what do you believe, what do you want to be when you grow up, and how are we going to get there? So, kind of created a curriculum based off of that and loved it and did that for probably a total of two and a half years. Um, That kind of made me branch into the marketing world because Meredith and Ryan were really good at like the individual... Um, group coaching level in terms of let's talk about your idea, let's get that idea into fruition and here's the strategy as to where you can get to this point to where you're actually starting either a side hustle or business um, and then now you can talk to Justin because Justin's done so I, at that point I had learned as much as I could without getting my MBA in terms of marketing and strategy and operations And so I would, if they wanted to go on I would take them through um, the next kind of course, which was getting your business started and up and off the ground and growing it a little bit, and that's how I got into marketing originally. And I loved it. I realized that marketing was a way that I can create, I can service perception to the world for my clients and um, see a vision that they don't necessarily see, and then help them grow to that point, scale to that point. So I thought this is exactly. What I love, and so I'm doing that at the same time of, of being a nurse full time. Starting to maybe realize that this might be the avenue that I pursue, um, and then, long story short, we I had I, I had a met a guy through Instagram like four years ago now no three years ago now. We had coffee. We really jived well together. He was a videographer, <clears throat> but had a really great brain, and um, we stayed in touch like every six months, and we got back together back in November of last year, Um, I asked him how he was doing, he was working full time for himself doing um, freelance gigs, and he asked me the same, and I said, we're doing well, I'm getting to the point to where I think that I'm ready to quit nursing, and I I even had, like I hated saying it out loud because it scared me to death. Um, but I I was getting to this point to where it wasn't, this idea of being a full-time entrepreneur wasn't like, for a long time it's always been a dream in terms of like, oh, maybe one day I'll be able to do that. Uh, about July 2017, last year, it started going from a dream to like, I can't not do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that was, when I, when I hit that transition of, okay, I've got a little bit of traction with this first little side hustle that's Ideas Collective and it's doing well. Um, it's scary because I have complete control over it, but I love it because I have complete control over it. <laughs> and I think this, is, this might be what I want to do. And so, that, like I said, that, tra- that dream transitioned to a, I can't not do this mentality. And so by, I, I made a goal, but for January 1st, to um 2018 to branch out and be a full-time entrepreneur. So in a really beautiful providential way, I had this meeting with my buddy James that I had met three years ago, and like I said, we caught up and he told me how his freelancing was doing. He was getting really busy and he was having to turn down a few people and he asked me how I was doing, and I said I'm getting really busy and um, I'm not really seeing the growth that I was expecting because I wanted to go full time for Ideas Collective in January, um, and kind of take my coaching, consulting, marketing brain, you know, and scale it. And he said, "I'll never forget the quote. For some reason, it matters to me." But he said, um, "Well, do you think that you could bring value to what I'm doing?" And I said, "Yes." And and I, I think the reason I remember what he said so clearly was because I knew exactly what he was actually saying, which was, I'm too scared to ask you to potentially think about us working together, so I'm just going to ask you, do you think you bring value? <laughs> so And then it scared me too because I thought, whoa, this is going to be like, this might be a huge transition, this will be a, a different business partner that I know and love and respect and um, is incredibly talented, but... It's even more you know scary and awesome at the same time so yeah. I said let's let's just stop the conversation there yes I do think that I could bring value um, and I think this is how uh, but let's I'm gonna explore this as a potential idea over the next month and pray about it and uh, let's meet in December so we did that we met again the week after Christmas um, and he and I are both threes on the Enneagram.
0: Oh, I didn't know y'all were both threes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's terrifying.
0: <laughs> and, uh,
1: we, um, and so when it came to like, you know, we move fast and we like it that way. And so I, I prayed about it for a month and so did he. And then we came back in December and we pretty much just were like, all right, yep, let's do this. This sounds good. This feels good. Uh, so we jumped in and... We started Dice Media uh, January one of this year, and it's been incredible. It's I for the first time ever in my life I'm able to say that I'm a full time entrepreneur. I've been starting businesses since I was eight years old, but um, this is the second real LLC that I've started after Ideas Collective, and it's been an incredible ride, and I love what? it.
0: What do you think it is about all the moments, all the businesses, all the ideas that you've started that led up to this? What's different about this?
1: Honestly, that's a great question. I, I really think that the first answer that comes to my brain is the thing that's different about this is that I made the decision to make it work. Um, I think that there are billions of great ideas out there, and I think that there are anyone in the world can come up with a great idea, and they could probably make it work for a business. Um, I had to essentially corner myself <clears throat> and say, Justin, this is your goal, January one, you're gonna go full time entrepreneur. No, whether I don't know what it's gonna be, but July last year, I said that that's what we're gonna do, and. Um, And so I cornered myself by setting a goal and making sure that other people that I loved knew about it so I could be held accountable as well. And I met a guy three years ago that I had created a relationship with. It's now my business partner. And, um, there's no like, I mean, there's no data that I could go off of. There's no objective criteria that I had met necessarily. Um... But I had to get over a few personal things in terms of, like, everybody's got imposter syndrome, and I freaking had it. And I thought, no one is going to want to, you know, pay us for this, this, and this service. Um, but then I had to realize, no, wait, I've been doing this for three years now, and I'm actually really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are going to pay us. And, in fact, they're they're paying us a lot now, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a ton of fun. So I don't think that... I had a lot of practice with Ideas Collective in terms of I created a schedule and sat down, created a, a meeting for, with myself um, at least once a month to come up with ideas for businesses to, um, and share those ideas with people, which is the second hardest, or the, the next hardest thing. Um, and so I got used to, you know, kind of put myself out there, getting used to feedback on whether or not an idea was good or not good. And, um. All, all of that being said, I think probably more important, I didn't give myself an option um, as to whether or not to pursue it. I just said, this: I'm going to pursue it uh, January 1. And that was the difference maker between all of my ideas since 8 years old and Dice Media.
0: And what would you say to someone who has an idea and is trying to weigh, is this viable? Should I go for it? How do I make it work?
1: Uh, so that's a great question. I think that I'm a huge fan of the Enneagram, and it is. It, it, I feel like I. I feel like it's almost like saying a politically incorrect statement now these days when I bring up the word Enneagram. It's an it's an incredible tool. It's an incredible tool, and it's really not that confusing. And it, but it's really good. And so I think that. Before you ask yourself the, yourself those questions that you just asked me, I think that you need to ask yourself, what do I know about myself and what do I know about my tendencies? What do I know about how I will dive into the worst version of myself when things hit the fan? Because um, those are the things that I needed to know before I pursued any, a certain idea, especially this one.
0: Do you think that could be a huge part of why, I mean, starting January 1 of 2018, it is almost July, and the rate at which Dice Media has grown is pretty um, impressive. Do you think part of that is attributed to having done a freaking ton of self-work last year?
1: Oh, oh, absolutely, 100%. Um... I did a ton of self-work last year, a ton, a ton, a ton. I went to a week-long retreat that was horrible and, and amazing. <laughs> I went to, um, you know, I studied the Enneagram a lot. I'm going, I'm going through a, an Enneagram cohort this year with Suzanne Stabile. I think that there is a 100% correlation between self-work and however you want to define success in the entrepreneurial world um, because you're in the entrepreneurial world, you're your own biggest enemy. I mean it's not anybody else except for the person that you, is looking for, looking at you in the mirror. And so self-work is, if not the factor, one of the biggest factors for whether or not um, I think you know, you'll find success. Once again, however you define success, I think self-work is how you find success as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, I, I had someone just kind of ask me a question about how I've chosen to invest in myself. Um, earlier this month and I, you know, said business strategy has been extremely valuable to me um, in my business. And I, you know, definitely have people that I pay to work with to help me with business strategy systems, all that jazz. But as important as paying to up-level my strategy and my systems, it has been equally important to invest in my mindset. Not like 10% important. It has been equally important as getting on the systems, getting all the marketing plans in place. If I had to choose whether I was going to run Facebook ads or, you know, go to counseling last year, it was more important for me to go to counseling. Yeah. And so I think that as entrepreneurs, we have to get comfortable with self-work because it's not Optional, it actually is crucial to carrying our purpose to its fullest potential. I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on that because I know you've got some good ones.
1: So, yeah, I think that I mean, especially when you acknowledge the fact that you're your own biggest enemy, I think that I feel a little bit like a hypocrite when I say this because I'm not doing very well at it right now in life, but health, I think encompasses four spheres of life. I think it's physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Um, And I think that, I don't know anyone that's really killing it at all four areas at at the same time, Um, but that emotional piece of health is what I really, really invested in last year, Um, emotional and, and mental piece. And it is showing its value tenfold this year for sure.
0: Oh yeah. My business, I spent a lot of, a a lot of last year working on a variety of topics. You know, you tend to sit in one space Mm -hmm. for a while, but Mm -hmm. a huge one was money mindset and kind of lack and scarcity versus abundance. And I worked my butt off all year on that piece. And that had some deep rooted, you know, narratives that went way back. And (laughs) And you were like, Oh
1: man, I didn't expect this. I was just going to think about money.
0: Yeah, and it was it was brutal, but and it, it really triggered a ton of anxiety and fear. But I saw a shift in December, and my business doubled in January. So I yeah, think there, exactly. I think it really is crucial to how we run our businesses. Exactly. In.
1: Well, and I think it's also so second to uh, personal work. Uh, I think the philosophy that I had to really choose to believe when I. Was making the decision to go full time entrepreneur was, uh, this is a process that is years in the making. I don't. I love the quote "years in the making" because it's short, and sweet, and it reminds me that I'm not going to be an overnight success. Period. And no entrepreneur is. I don't care if you've read a story on Yahoo that this guy made a billion dollars. That's not. It's just not freaking real. Um, and you've got you've, you've to be patient. And the fact that, you know, I think far too often we have this very – it, I think it's funny. I think a lot of people have this weird, um, naive, optimistic, and yet, like, skeptical mindset of optimistic, this will work. I'm going to make a million dollars this year with this one idea – but then skeptical about the way that they go about it the whole time. Um, but bottom line is, it's years in the making. Like you, I'm doing, I'm setting financial projections for five years from now. Not, you know, I'm doing it for next month. But I, what I'm really focusing on in terms of how I'm setting up my business is, what do I want to be doing? What do I, what do I expect to be doing for Dice Media five years from now? Because, you, this process is years in the making. You're not going to make it overnight. And so patience yeah. is the second thing that I've, aside from self-work, has been the second thing that I've really dove into. So you started with the question, you know, how do I know a good, an idea is a good idea? Um, yeah. I think, I think the the question behind that question is, is, are those two things? Am I patient enough? And what kind of, what do I know about myself? Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, what was your question was, how do I know an idea is a good idea and what?
0: And... How has mental health really played a role in your, or self-work played a role in your success?
1: Oh, uh, gotcha. Um, so how do you know a good idea, an idea is a good idea? There is a ton of different strategies out there. I have an ongoing list on my phone, a note on my phone called PDLs, um, and that stands for Problems of Daily Living.
0: And, yeah, I forgot about this. I love this.
1: Yeah, so that, that problem with daily living means like literally I still haven't figured out a business idea from this, but I hate the fact that when I buy a bag of Doritos, half the bag's crumbled up and those chips are, are crunches at the bottom of the bag. That's a problem with my daily living. So anything in the world that I think of as a problem or a business idea, I throw it on that list. Um, and then I'll if I put something new on the list, I'll check it again tomorrow. And it's if I if I think the... The the idea is just ridiculous. Tomorrow, I take it. I take it off the list. If it's decent and it still makes sense based on my crazy brain of when I you know voice texted it into that note, um, I'll leave it on the list for a while. And then when I when somebody else asks me about what new ideas I've got or if I'm ready to pursue something else, which I'm not gonna really be ready for a while, but I will uh, look at that list and then go from there. So the second thing is. Uh, if, if, if you've got an idea and you look at it the second day and you like it, uh, tell it to your best friend. Um, and, but tell it to your best friend and expect honest feedback. Your best friend should give you honest feedback but if they give you a feedback and they're like, I don't get it, then I think that's important to listen to. Um, I'm stubborn as hell and so I would tell Meredith an idea and she'd be like, I don't get it. Or be like, okay. <laughs> and so if I got one of those okays, then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to keep going on it. Or she'd sometimes be like, I love that idea. See, see what else you can do. And so after I got an, an I love that idea or an okay, I would go on Craigslist and search um, inquiries according to whatever that idea might be. So you look on forums, look at, at people, um, see what they're asking for, and then I would also just put a Craigslist post saying... You know, would anybody be interested in this? Wow! Uh, and I got a lot of great feedback on Craigslist, and that's actually what helped Ryan and I make the decision to pursue Ideas Collective as a business. Because we got a ton of people that said yes, so we did. We actually we did Craigslist, and then we did Facebook uh, inquiries. So just posted on Facebook, "Hey guys, this is interesting." And then the last level was email. We emailed everybody on our email list, and after those three phases, we thought. Okay, people like this, um, but once again, behind all those things, you got to know about yourself and how you deal with conflict. You got to know about yourself and how gutsy you might be. You got to know about yourself and understand what the perception you're giving off. So all of those things I think are underlying. But that was our strategy in terms of how we started um, Ideas Collective, and then for Dice Media, I did I, I skipped the Craigslist. Facebook and Instagram, or Craigslist Facebook and email phase, and went straight to a couple of uh, good friends that I knew that, and I had an idea and a strategy in terms of how we were going to form Dice Media, because we're a marketing agency, but we do it very different from anybody else, and so a few business owners that I asked and a few other good friends, and they all said, yeah, actually, we love that idea. So. We just kind of went for it from that standpoint because I knew that I was good at marketing and I knew that James had a really great creative mind. And so um, that's how we jumped off from there.
0: Wow. So you basically mean that you use Craigslist or Facebook as kind of a soft pitch.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: That's awesome. I really like that idea because, you know, a a new artist has to go to an open mic night and see if the song lands or if they can do it. And I think that's kind of a great version for entrepreneurs with ideas to just get feedback from the public.
1: Well, and my biggest, once again, I'm a three, so I want to make it look like I'm successful. Right. Yeah. And so that was terrifying to me to, to post something on Facebook. Craigslist wasn't a big deal because nobody knew who I was. Yeah. But, um, posting on Facebook and all my friends, judging asking for judgment from all my friends uh was terrifying but yeah it's i mean that's the gig that's part of making the decision of whether or not you want to do something full-time as an entrepreneur so yeah so
0: i have a question something you just said how do you deal with fear as an entrepreneur
1: Mm. that's a great question um i will first ask myself why am i fearful of this Um, oftentimes it has to do with the way that I look. So I'm oftentimes fearful of how this will make me look. And if that's the answer, I know that I need to get over myself or I know that um, I need to understand that this is my own problem and not like a fear of dying or a fear of... It's not a real fear. It's like it's shame-based and it's my work to do. And so... I need to do my work and push forward and overcome that quote unquote fear. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, When it comes to fear otherwise, I'll try and, I love data um, and analytics. If I have any type of data um, that I can make an objective decision, uh, then I'll obviously do that. But data takes time and data takes history. And so... Oftentimes people don't have that, so when it otherwise, if I'm fearful of something and I don't have data and it's not shame based, um, I will create kind of baby steps for how I'm going to overcome it. So oftentimes my baby steps start with talking to James, my business partner, about it and saying, hey, verbalizing, I'm fearful about this, uh, which gives, to, once again, when you name things, it gives them power. So. I named that fear, and I tell it to James, and I say, "This is what I'm worried about," and then we'll talk about it for five minutes. We'll oftentimes we we'll set a time limit because we both talk too much, and uh, and then once we get through that, and I haven't come, I haven't if I, if I can't come over that fear, get over that fear, I'll talk to Meredith, my wife, about it at home. If it, when it comes to business, I'll go to James first, and then my wife because she's awesome, and um, and we'll talk about it with her, and. She's incredibly wise, and you you know, she's incredible. So uh, she'll give me her mere wisdom, and if that doesn't work, then the third phase is I'll set a date in terms of how I'm going to make a decision whether or not to go forward with that fear or not go forward. There's a very common misconception of what a goal is, and oftentimes people say that they set goals, but those goals don't have end dates. And they're not measurable and they're not attainable and when I set a goal I make sure that I I meet all of those criteria before I just you know fizzle out on something and never make a decision
0: yeah so to piggyback on that how do you actually uh, differentiate dreams from goals Um, because I know you have probably hundreds of dreams floating (laughs) around and so do I um, how do you make that tangible and how would someone who's a listener kind of say, okay, I do have this dream, but in order to make it a reality, I have to set some do- goals. I can't just wish this into existence. Uh-huh. Um, what would your advice be there?
1: Well, the, the differentiator is oftentimes a dream is start with what if, um, you know, if, if, if you're just thinking it or if you're saying it out loud, a dream is when you, you know, start an idea with what if yada, 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 yada. And you have that kind of like, mystical, dopamine rush in your head, and it's fun, right, mm-hmm. um, a goal is, should scare you, I mean, it should be fearful, um, because at that point, you're putting skin in the game, and that's when epinephrine releases, and you can feel your palms and pits sweat a little bit, right, so that's an easy differentiator from for me, um, in terms of taking a dream and in, creating a reality out of it, um, uh, a couple of things. A couple of things that we I used to do with Ideas Collective is set monthly goals based on a dream. So if I have a dream or an idea, and I've gone through those phases, and I think that I might want to pursue this, whether it's for a full time entrepreneur, yada yada, or like even just a little side hustle, I will first hyper define that dream and create either an objective out of that dream, or create a mission statement off of that dream, or create. Um, a vision off of that dream so that it's, it's essentially so that's just clearly articulated, right? So, for example, my dream of creating a chip bag that doesn't crumple my Doritos, that's what if, right? But I, I can transition that what if into I'm going to create a Doritos bag that doesn't crumple my chips. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a horrible example, but that's all I got.
0: No, I love that. I think it's hilarious.
1: So that, that's now my vision, right? So that's a dream to a vision. So my, I now have a vision and I'm going to set goals monthly to achieve that vision. So my four, my four goals, I think three or four goals is max what you should be doing if you're doing a full-time job and trying to figure out something else on the side. Yeah. So my four goals to create a Doritos chip bag would be um, go buy a bag of Doritos chips within the next two days. Um my second goal would be uh search on any query that I know to see if I can find an inventor so I can take him to lunch within the next um week. Uh the third goal could be um trying to think. Mm, Google for one hour in the next four days uh how to get patents or how to dive into, uh, inventions. Uh, and so those three goals are very easily attainable. Um, they are measured, they're specific, uh, and there's an end date, right? And so you create the vision and you re, you know, you re-engineer it backwards and you say, well, where can I start? And you go from there.
0: Yeah, and I love that because it makes it so tangible and a lot of people just sit with a dream and really it comes down to what are you going to do about it?
1: Well, and like I said, we're not going to have, you're not going to have an overnight success, right? And right. So oftentimes we'll have a dream and then maybe people will have a dream and then turn it into a vision and see this kind of reality of what it could be, but then they have to start with, I'm going to buy a bag of Dorito chips tomorrow and it's like, I don't this is gonna take forever and you're like well yeah it's gonna take forever you're trying to change the world when it comes to dorito chips
0: yeah so it's gonna take forever and it it really i mean it takes work so one one thing we've touched on quite a bit is the overnight success concept you know i think it can be disenchanting um absolutely Especially when you get on the inside and you realize, oh, even the people you thought were overnight successes were not. And they did stuff (laughs) behind the scenes for 10 years that no one ever heard about. And then they, you know, finally on their third book became well-known or whatever. You know, they'd written two books that had, you know, mild success. But then it was their third book that blew up. And so I think... You know, people don't always realize that. How have you um, navigated kind of the disenchantment or sometimes the smoke and mirrors? Like when you kind of get in and you're like, oh, this is actually hard. You don't get into entrepreneurship for an easy life because you make all the, you call all the (laughs) shots. There's a, there's another level of stress that outweighs or that, that compensates for the freedom.
1: Absolutely. So my struggle in the last two months, specifically, is that I have had to be more bossy of a boss than I ever expected to be this soon. Because <laughs> uh, I've got, you know, I've got two full time employees and five part time people now, and I'm the boss. And so, the the disenchanting piece to entrepreneurship, oh, I be, I become disenchanted if I'm focused on the result and not the process. So. Mm-hmm. I'm very results-oriented, I'm very, this is where we're going, this is the vision, this is the result, this is where I want to be in this this amount of time, in this amount of years, and so I very, very easily get caught up in the future, and when I get caught up in the future and then I have a shit day, I get disenchanted, right? Right. The My work in that is not getting caught up in the future. I mean, I'm good at vision, and that's how I set goals and priorities and strategies, but I'll get disenchanted, and I hate that day because it's just not fun, but, but it's because I'm focused on the future. What the pro, it's not about the future. It's about the daily um, lesson that you get to learn. It's about the way that you can learn, lead, and love people today in this very moment, not about... What you're gonna be or what you're gonna look like four years from now, or how much money you're gonna be making ten years from now—it's about how am I gonna be here for my people, for my employees, for my clients today? Because this is where this is what matters. What's happening right now, and then when when I get focused on what's happening right now and how I can love the best right in this moment, then disenchantment doesn't really happen for me because um, I've got all that I need right in that very moment. And this is what my work is to be is, is for, for right now, I guess. I don't know. That's good.
0: To... I mean, that's a, that's a good word, especially coming from a three who lives in the future, talking to a seven who also lives in the future. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I too have really come to appreciate of like, I do, I live in the future. I mean, I have ideas, you know, I'll think of something and I'm like, Oh, that that will happen. Like it's (laughs) everything feels possible. Um, and I know I have what it takes to make it happen, but there's something kind of sacred about living in the present of saying, what if this is what it ever amounts to, would I be happy? Would I be content? And would I be a good steward of that?
1: Like, even as you're talking, like throughout this podcast, I keep, I cannot help. But think about even the next hour, the very next hour of what (laughs) what I'm going to be doing. And uh, Meredith and I have made a rule because she's future oriented as well. And she's she's an eight. Uh And ever since she was a kid, she'd lie down in bed and she'd ask her mom, what are we doing tomorrow, mom? And so about two or three years into our marriage, every night, she would ask, what are you doing tomorrow? What are we doing tomorrow? And... I would, we would talk and then we would talk for longer and then longer and then we would not go to bed for two hours. And then I wouldn't be able to fall asleep because I was so excited or so worried or so focused on what tomorrow was going to be. So now we have a rule when we go to bed every night. She still sometimes forgets and she's like, so what's on your schedule tomorrow? It's like, nope, don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. I'm going to get caught up in it and I'm not going to be able to sleep. I cannot talk about tomorrow. And it's, it's just a funny boundary because... Tomorrow is always more exciting than today is. Yeah. For me, you know, for you.
0: Yeah, for us, definitely. For people as a whole, you know, we've got listeners who are obviously across the board on their type, the way they're wired. What would be your advice about for living in the present as an entrepreneur? Because the possibilities can be really ex- exciting, but they can also be really scary. Um, and I know that you and I have both lived in both spaces. You know, yeah. there's... Th- I remember during a really stressful season last year, I called my dad and I was like, this is hard. And he said, baby, that's running a business. It ebbs <laughs> and it flows. And I was like, oh, like you've lived like this for 30 years. <laughs> and I, I, I think I, I didn't realize or anticipate that. So um, what is your advice for people, no matter kind of how they're wired to live in the present? Um, whether it's going to be good or whether it's going to be hard the next day.
1: Yeah. So I, as best, once again, I feel a little bit like a hypocrite because I'm not great at it, honestly. But what I what I do for myself is when it comes to the future, James and I have an, an ongoing joke that we probably remind each other of every day, which is tomorrow morning we're going to wake up and think, what the hell are we doing? By midday we'll be like – Okay, maybe we got this. Okay, maybe. And then by the end of the day, we're going to go to sleep and say, what the hell are we doing?
0: <laughs>
1: and so that's the future. And the past is, this is what I've learned. This is what I know about myself. This is what uh, has happened in the past. And so because I know past and future already, I'm going to live in the moment today because today is what matters. Right now is what matters um, because we are only in control of the very moment that we that we're experiencing, so I will not get caught up in the future because I know I'm going to wake up once a certain way. By lunch, I'm going to feel a certain way. By the time I go to bed, I'm going to feel a certain way. And then knowing all, you know, knowing the past and the and the future. Um, oh man, it was so good. What was it going to be? It was going to come out of my mouth.
0: <laughs> I uh, do that all the time.
1: Uh, oh, oh, oh! It was. Um, so for right now, for today i want to celebrate the moments that need to be celebrated, and I'm going to feel all of the other moments that I most often don't allow myself to feel. Ooh. So, or I mean, like, so I'm I, I'm once again I'm a three, and so I have a hard time connecting that 18-inch row between my head and my heart. And so, I, if I'm overwhelmed or if I am, you know, not if it's not a something to be celebrated. I'm feeling something else and so I need to take the time right now to figure out what that feeling is and then feel it and not avoid it. And that's how I stay in my present. That's Um, good. When it comes to other people that are, you know, that'll go out and and do it or they'll go, they'll sit and think about it um, or they're repressed in either one of those things, I think that um, understanding a verbal quote of what the future is, um, making sure that you're learning from your past and understanding what your past is. And I think I think self-work for me involves my past because um, that's the hardest thing for me to do probably is look at uh, the past oriented. Yeah. Um, so that when I have the past and the future set, I can – I only have the option to, to focus on right now.
0: Man, that's good. And really just helpful, um, I think, being present can be a challenge for all of us. Um, even Even looking at my husband who is not future oriented, he's actually – past oriented, but he, he stays in the present most days. Um, just not letting the anxiety of what the end of the week or what, what due date for a project or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. It is hard to, to ground ourselves and live in the moment in our workplace. And so um, I think it's really an act of discipline and it's really healthy to get there. So it, it has been such a joy having you. I feel like this episode is wor- it's filled with so many gold nuggets. Before you, <laughs> I totally leave, if you it, if had... you no, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think you know the beauty of these conversations is people just get to be in on on an exchange of thoughts and ideas that can be helpful for them in their process. And so I love that we get to come here and do this. If you had one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? Or one recommendation of a book or a podcast that's been meaningful for you?
1: Mm, I love books. Um, The Road Back to You is always my number one book, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur or, you know, no matter who you are. The Road Back to You by Suzanne Steville and Ian Cron is incredible. I'm looking at my desk right now. I've got, um, ooh, for anybody in the service industry, so entrepreneurs or anyone in the service industry, uh, I just finished uh, Patrick Lencioni's Getting Naked. And it is incredible. It's... Okay. Lencioni writes in just this beautiful, simple, funny way. And it is... I mean, I read it in two days. It was, it was incredible.
0: Okay. I'll have to check that out.
1: Um, and then, let's see. Simple numbers. Um, it's three phrases that I can't remember. Anybody that's business strategy, um, uh, kind of like uh, operations and finance focused that they're trying to learn... Um, I can't remember the name, but I can send it to you so you, you can put it in the notes if you awesome. like. Awesome, yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of advice, that's a great question to to be asked. Um, dive into yourself. Take time and money and focus on yourself for the next X amount of time. That's my advice for today.
0: One hundred percent. I actually was listening to a sermon by T.D. Jakes. On entrepreneurship, because he's really straddled the business and the ministry world well. Um, and he said, You know, we spend a lot of time dating our partner or even dating friends as we're getting to know them, but we don't really give that same level of intentionality and in getting to know ourselves. And so um, that was just really um, interesting to me because sometimes, especially in the faith space, they're like, Oh, if we get introspective, that's too self focused. <laughs> No, we need to do that in order to steward and carry our Man, purpose.
1: I will forever say. I mean, we're in the. I'm in the South, and so people think that you're selfish when you talk about yourself or say that you're spending money on yourself. But you cannot take care of anybody else in the world if you're not take care, you're taking care of yourself first. Yeah. And and yes, it is selfish. But I think that that is the. And that is a very very healthy selfish that. Um, is kind of a new idea for people, especially in the South and especially for millennials because their parents have been telling them that you're too selfish their whole life. But um, yeah, focus, spend, invest in yourself for a little bit because you can only take care of other people and you can only be the best version of yourself to the rest of the world if, if you're investing in yourself first.
0: some Yes, yes, yes. That's really changed my life.
1: Oh, mine too. Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits by Greg okay. Crabtree. It's a doozy. It, I had to read it through twice. But, um, okay. it's four keys to unlock your business potential in terms of uh, just numbers. It's incredible.
0: Cool. I've got a lot of Audible credits, so I need to get on it. Justin, it has been such a joy having you. Where can everyone find you?
1: Um, Dicemedia.com is our website. Uh, like I said, we're a digital marketing uh, media agency. We love what we do. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Justin Boggs and... I think
0: that's it. Woohoo. I'll link you up. And it has been, again, such a gift. Thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. It's been an honor. Super humbled, Kelsey. Thanks.
0: Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Duncan is here to keep you running with a much-needed taste of normal. To work, home or work from home with the coffee you like just the way you like it whether that's a small hot black coffee your daily 2 p.m. latte or a bacon egg and cheese croissant and a medium iced coffee with oat milk one sugar two pumps of caramel one pump hazelnut a swirl of french vanilla and a shot of espresso
1: i call it my p.m. pep rally you should really try it
0: Whatever it is that gets you running, Dunkin's got you and always will. America runs on Dunkin'. Cozy up for the holidays with 60% off everything at Banana Republic Factory, including soft sweaters, comfy pajamas, must-have gifts, and more from $9.99. Find your nearest store now, only at Banana Republic Factory. Get 50 through 70% off almost everything at Gap Factory and GapFactory.com. Plus, shop new doorbusters for the family, including outerwear, jeans, and our Gap logo crew neck sweatshirt. Find it all at Gap Factory or GapFactory.com through December 14th.